don't know if you talk about your divorce at all, but I remember when you were going through that, I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Even though I wasn't as public about I love a divorce my- story. I love a divorce. <laughs> I'm like, tell it me feels- the divorce. Every I'm like, time what we- did you do with your ring? <laughs> I still have it. But every time I hear a divorce story, I'm like, or when I see the news, like my first, I have to remind myself that I have to be like, oh, that's sad. I don't, I literally say to people, good for you. <laughs> oh my God. I think, and I think my ex-husband, who I'm really, really good friends with still would tell you, he's like, this is the best thing that could have happened to us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Low with Amrata. Today we have on Tommy Dorfman. I met Tommy 2016 or 17, and it's been amazing to watch Tommy blossom into the person that she is today and, you know, watch her career from being on 13 Reasons Why to becoming a full director um, happen right before my very eyes. So without further ado, Tommy Dorfman. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. I'm so grateful you're here on the show. Let's jump right in and talk about your movie that you you are that comes out this year that you just made. Ah, I wish you all the best. Yeah, yeah. And that with that, I leave. I wish you all the best. You adapted the story from a book, right? Yeah, I in I guess 2018. 19, somewhere around there. I'm just still, I just gotten off of doing 13 Reasons Why. I studied playwriting as well as acting at school, but I'd never really written a lot of scripts before. I was just doing that on my own. And someone slipped me a PDF of Mason's book, I Wish You All the Best. I think they were like, you're non-binary. Here's a book about a non-binary person. And I was like, okay, cool. And I read it. And I think the idea was that I would play this character because at the time I was one of the few public-facing non-binary people in Hollywood who was out and cozy enough with it, even though I knew I had like a few steps in my journey to go. This This was like probably around the time we met, honestly, like 2019, 2018. And it was just before the book had come out. And I I immediately knew that I wouldn't play this role. One, I was like 26 or 27 at the time. And this was a high school kid who was 16 and I right. just gotten off a teen show already right. being too old. And two, I knew that I was going to transition mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like an authentic thing for me to take on. But when I read it, I felt uniquely qualified because the story takes place in the South and I'm from the South and I have this lived experience to adapt it into a feature and had always wanted to direct film mm-hmm. and TV. And this felt like the perfect little present that landed on my desk just by like the universe. And then I spent many years, you know, fighting for the rights for it, getting those. I wrote it myself on spec, which was beautiful. Wow, that's I, amazing. I'd actually just started transitioning. I was living 
for a brief period of time at Wes Gordon's house in Connecticut during okay, the pandemic. I know Wes. Wes Gordon is um, the head designer at Carolina Herrera and is a friend in kind of a circle of friends that all had babies at the same time. So I know um, him and his husband, Paul. And Wes Gordon and I know each other because his sister and I went to high school together and we went to prom together. No fucking way. Yeah. Wow, the world is small. The world is really... That's insane to me. Really fucking small. <laughs> yeah. And I was getting separated from my husband. It was 2020. It was like summer. So we were all itching to do something. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I said I was going to write this movie. I set myself a deadline. My option is going to be up in like seven months. So I better get it together. And I camped out, camped out, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> camped out at their farm in Connecticut uh, for a period of time and just traveled through the Northeast and wrote this script. And it was really isolating in some ways, but also really beautiful in other ways. And I was just There's a couple months. There's nothing like um, a traumatic time in your life to, to be productive. Right. It was like, I was like, I'm taking estrogen and testosterone blockers. My, oh my boobs are burning, but they're not even there. I don't even know what's going on. It was probably really good for me to be alone during the beginning of my transition yeah. in a lot of ways, even though I wish I had more community or I knew how to ask for more help during that time. I really didn't. I felt really isolated at the beginning of my transition. And I also put myself in an isolated space. I find it hard to produce quality creative content when I'm around a lot of people. I kind of need to hold myself in as I think you probably relate I'm to writing a book, right? I'm absolutely the same way I am. And I f just, I knew that if I was going to write the script on spec, which means, you know, not get paid to write it, right? I needed to just disappear. So I did that and did a couple drafts of it, had friends read it, gave their notes, and then an assistant at the studio that ended up financing it and producing it had read it and like kind of the call came in at the top of the year before we even pitched it. And then I ended up in less than a year made it, which was like, it feels like that never That's happens. Never like happens. two years after writing it. I mean, people who are like wildly successful have stories of, you know, working on a movie for eight to 10 years from totally. like the beginning of, you know, starting to write it and then moving forward. So that's amazing. It's really and crazy. It's like a- It speaks to the quality of the script, I think, and the, the project I overall. I think, yeah. I think it, it was like past time to mm. do a, like a YA family drama sure. with like through a non-binary lens. Like it felt- it felt late to me, honestly, yeah. by the time I was what doing What is the story? So it's about this kid, Ben, who, through the confidence of like the internet, essentially, decides that they want to come out to their parents before their spring semester in their junior year in rural, rural country like North Carolina. And it goes terribly wrong. And they're kicked out of their parents' house. And in a panic, reach out to their estranged sister who had left at 18 under, you know, mysterious circumstances. And Alexandra Dodario plays that role. And she takes them in and helps them find themselves through, you know, redefining what family means. They find community. They fall in love. They get to, they're an artist and a creative and like a painter. And so they get to, it's really just about finding yourself through art and love and, and chosen family and ultimately realizing that that they could choose like freedom and happiness over like redefining their relationship with their parents. Mm -hmm. If that means that they would have to revert back to the life they were living. Wow. So I can't wait to see it. I mean, it's like it's... an emancipation story of sorts. Yeah. I mean, literally in a yeah. lot of ways. Right. But yeah. I'm excited for you to see it. I think it should be out at the end of this year. So Holy really shit. This is going to be a big year for you. I'm really excited. I feel like I started writing screenplays like post college, 
right around when I was like trying to get any single audition for anything I could get in pre-13 Reasons Why. And then this just happened to be the one that Did you always know that you wanted to be in entertainment? And in what capacity did you want to be involved in entertainment? I think I had this Edie Cedric fantasy because I was like a teenage drug addict. I'm 30 now. I grew up on like The Simple Life. I loved cocaine when I was in high school. Yeah, and you've like, been sober since you were really sober young, for 10 right? Years yeah. this year. Wow, and I congratulations! Think, thank you. And I and it was like I started like smoking pot and drinking when I was eleven, so I had like a good like ten year chunk of using, and now mm. like, almost as I've been sober for almost as long as I was using for, which is a really weird place to be in. I'm I didn't, sure. I feel too young to be this old, kind of feeling. If yeah. that makes sense. I think that's but how life goes. That is how life goes, yeah. and I think. For me, I had this like glamorization of Hollywood and like fame and celebrity and growing up in the South. It was also the period of time like Gossip Girl was on and I just had this like, I had this idealized version of New York City in my head Mm. and I could do a lot of different things and play a lot of different parts, which I think is just like in sort of addict culture, if you will, Mm, (laughs) inherited that. I knew that I wanted to work in television and film. I was like obsessed with it and theater and couldn't figure out the way in, but my GPA was so bad in high school because I was barely there. I mean, I might've physically been there, but mentally wasn't there that I also knew that the only way I could get out of Atlanta and get into college was through some version of performance. How did you get sober? What was the last straw or like what motivated you? Many, many years of consequences and Mm. putting myself in situations. You know, it's like, I've talked about this before. It's like any time I've been like raped or assaulted has been under the influence, which on one hand, I'm like, okay, grateful. I don't have like the clearest memory of that experience. But on this other hand, like I'm not responsible for that. I can zoom out enough to be like, oh, if I wasn't living in my addiction and alcoholism and I didn't go to like that drug dealer's house in Bushwick at 5 a.m., I might not have ended up in the situation I was in, right? And so it's like, Ugh, so I don't it's like take- a whole res- level of shame, basically. There's a level of shame, but I also had to realize that I was responsible for mm. pieces of the puzzle, right? I yeah, can't, and you were unsafe in those situations. And I was unsafe in those situations, and I was willing to do basically anything for drugs and alcohol for many years. I would say from like 17 to 21, those four years were really, really, really bleak, dark years, and I couldn't, I really couldn't figure out the way out. And my first husband and I had just started dating in 20, end of 2012, and I think because the way, one, I was exhausted, I was, and I felt like life had to be more than what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was tired of disappointing people. I was tired of disappointing myself. I was tired of being really hungover. Yeah. Of calling my mom, having a panic attack, thinking I was going to have a heart attack because I had been up for four days. I was just tired of of that, and I couldn't get off the roller coaster. And I kept trying, and. I remember Peter, my ex, just asked me, was like, you know, you do drugs, that's cool. No shame. You just don't seem happy. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you just, like, I know people who do drugs and like, they seem like pretty happy. And like, whenever I'm with you and you're using, and he didn't use those terms. He was like, whenever you're like partying really hard, like you just seem really unhappy and like you always regret it. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, well, because I, I I do. Yeah. And he was like, so then why? And it was the first time someone approached me with love and compassion and curiosity as opposed to like shame, guilt. I'm never going to talk to you again. There weren't consequences right. on the other side of this question. It was just like, 
laid out for me. And I actually, I mean, the moment was really clear. It was like the night of my 21st birthday. I just missed a flight to Lindsay Gordon's graduation, bringing it back to Wes in Vermont. She went to UVM. And I felt really guilty because I was missing her graduation because I had stayed up all night doing drugs and the sun was rising and we were in a taxi cab driving over the Williamsburg Bridge. Mm-hmm. And I and he asked me in the car because I was I remember being I was, I was full of shame because I had missed another flight. I'd missed so many flights of like important whether it was like someone giving birth or someone's wedding or bat mitzvah or family affair friend thing. I I just felt shame and this wasn't even that big of a thing that I missed. It just felt so heavy at the time. And I remember earlier that night I had said I wasn't going to do coke. Mm-hmm. And then I of course it's right. Not, it's just not how, the drink bones connected to the coke bone. Yeah. Um, and then that's connected to fucking Whatever every, else. like light the house on yeah. fire, threw someone's furniture off their roof in Tribeca once. Like I did a lot of things. In that moment, it was like May 14th. And then June 5th, I checked myself into rehab. And then I had a like spiritual awakening in rehab with this yoga teacher. <laughs> this is very like privileged queer person get sober. And I realized like, you know what, maybe I don't have, and I actually had a lot of fear around being an actor or a writer or anything creative, anything that felt unstable was kind of, I felt like I was being told that that was not a good trajectory for me as an addict at this time. So I think just like needing structure in your life and needing like distractions and replacement therapies, if you will. So it's such an emotional journey being in the entertainment industry, so many highs and lows. And I was kicked out of school. So I also have my self-worth. Like, I think one thing about me is I'm incredibly delusional. Mm -hmm. So in some cases it's like, I think I can do anything. But then the flip side of that is like, I'm a failure. I'm a disaster. Like no one's going to trust me. And at that time I was like, I think I could do anything. No, it was, it was, I was really stuck in between. And when I started practicing yoga, I was like, I could do this. I could be a yoga instructor. And like, this feels peaceful. I found a program that was that had me busy for 12 hours a day, five days a week. Which is great. When and I left a week early. Yeah, yeah. And I left a week early and I would city bike to Yoga Works in Soho and I would go to like an AA meeting in the morning and go to Yoga Works in Soho. And that was my life. And wow. I fucking hated it. I hated every moment of it. You're like, but this I is finished not right. it. And it was the first time I'd ever finished anything right. ever that I didn't like doing. Because part of, I think, being an addict and alcoholic inherently is like, is avoiding everything if you don't want to do it so i remember finishing that and feeling really accomplished and then i started working in retail stay tuned for more high low with emrata look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So what I was doing was I was working in retail and then I was working at Baz Bagels. A friend of mine from college who was living with me and my ex had, he was like the star of the theater program. He had agents. He had an audition. He had the pilot for 13 Reasons Why. He sent it to me being like, you should read this like, and see like if you can somehow get an audition because they're seeing like they're, they were doing a really wide search. Yeah. So I read it and... I had like a weird manager at the time who was living like in, who was like working and living out of his apartment in Jersey City, who was like a friend of a friend who worked at Equinox. It was like this really weird, like his name was Michael. And I was like, Michael, I got this script. I took a class with a casting associate. And then I, I think through that was able to get like a very like open call audition. And that's how it started. And it was like one of my first auditions ever. When you got the call, what was it like to know that you had booked it? Was it surreal? Did you understand what it meant? I had no idea what it meant. It was like months later. Mm. So you had let, let go of it. You had forgotten. I kind of had because weirdly, this girl, Michelle, who was a year younger than me at Fordham, got cast in it. And my friend Sosie, who I went to camp with, also got cast in it. And I Whoa. was like, I kept seeing everyone on Facebook at the time announcing like their, like, like sharing their like, deadline oh, announcements or whatever. God. And me being like, well, I guess I didn't get that thing. And I had been brought in so many times and flown to LA and flown back. And like at that point, I was like, I don't fucking know. You're right. And then I was in New Hampshire visiting family, going through a car wash and got the call. And I had no idea what it meant. And I was on a plane two days later. Wow. And it was, and I just was like, suit up and show up, baby. Like, had never been on a film set before. <laughs> That's crazy. And were you married at that point? I was engaged. Okay. I remember you seeing wedding photos of yours. There was yes. quite a beautiful wedding. In, it was a really beautiful wedding. Yeah. I remember being like, what a nice, lovely, like, it felt like your families became one family. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It was so, it was the week that Trump got elected president. But apart from that, it was like, which I think gave my grandmother a stroke, honestly, and she wasn't able to make it. Like, I'm not even joking. But I remember being like, Mama's not making it because she had a stroke because of the election and thinking that was kind of funny at the time. I mean, it felt it's cool that you were involved in a queer marriage the same week that Trump was elected. It, well, it did. It felt like now or never. Like fighting the power, <laughs> fighting the power in some some way. Yeah, totally. It was like it was it felt very emotional, like like a like an act of protest just in just in doing that. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, I felt like this person saw me through getting sober. I knew that I was trans, but I didn't I know what to, to do. I wanted to ask you, when did you know that you were trans? And Like when I was six. Okay. And like, well, I mean, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up as a kid. And I was like, I want to be a girl. Like oh, I want to wow. be a princess. I want to be a girl. Mm-hmm. I want to be an actress. Like everything was really feminized. And my parents, bless them, were just like, okay, we have like a weird kid, like cool. But like they didn't know what trans was. I think- When did you come out as gay? When I was 14. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So young, and your family was accepting? Totally. That's yeah, good. Yeah, and I felt really, I mean, growing up in Georgia, that is not yeah. always the case, but I, I, I kind of knew that that would be okay. And at that point, the idea of transitioning wasn't even on my radar, right? Because it just was so, that was so repressed from childhood. And then I met trans people in college. And I remember when I was 21, I, I heard someone talking, I went back to school and finished and I heard someone talking about like non-binary and like agender and gender fluid and gender queer. And I was like, oh, that feels 
that feels close to me because I couldn't ever figure out what like what it right. what the thing was. Yeah. And so I I immediately like identified as non-binary when I learned about it. And then I just knew it wasn't it. I was like dreaming as a girl. I felt really stuck in being like whatever public figure is. Mm. I was making money off my body, like literally for Calvin Klein, mm -hmm. right? Like I was like, well, the as world had accepted boy. you as this very specific thing, yeah. and even the character like, you played in the show is totally. like kind of archetypal, almost very that. And I felt like the twink of the moment, mm -hmm. and I was capitalizing on it. Yeah, but I but I was filled with so much dysphoria and shame, and like. I did not think I was attractive, did not. I was kind of confused as to like why I kept like booking like men's campaigns for stuff. And I kept having to be like, I'm not a man. And my agents being like, mm. God, so you were faced with so much. I mean, I'm sure when you were thinking about transitioning, you were also thinking about your livelihood, right? Completely. And I was thinking about, you know, like these careers are not promised. Yeah. As you know, mm -hmm. right? And it always feels like it could go away at any moment. And that's also why I'm grateful that I write and do other things because I can now I've set up enough of a business for myself where I don't have to rely on like my face or body. But at the time, I, I just couldn't find a way forward that felt like one that I could take enough time off mm -hmm. Two, I was really scared. Like just really, I was like, what am I going to look like? What am I going to be like? What if nobody wants to work with me? What if I don't want to work anymore? And I so much unknown. So much unknown of like, should I disappear? Should I go back to Georgia? Personally and professionally. Literally. I was like, should I completely, I mean, that's a dead name for a reason. Like, should I completely like burn my former life to the ground so that I can like live authentically? But is that even what I want to do? So I think the thing that I dealt with was feeling like I have this husband, I have a house, I have a career. Like, that's like enough, isn't it? Like, I sh that should be like enough. And yet I was suicidal and like miserable and having these like quarterly breakdowns around gender and being really frustrated and being like, I'm out and I'm non-binary and I can wear like Tom Brown skirts to the MTV awards. People are like accepting of it and celebratory of it. But I remember talking to a stylist who I wanted to work with and she was like, yeah, I only work with girls. Sorry. And me being like, and it's not, I mean, that's not the reason I transitioned. That sounds really like arbitrary, but it, but I just remember being like, no, but like, I, I, and I remember like, I always had to, I feel like. You want to say I am I was a girl like, I now. am a girl yeah. now. Like what you don't understand is I like need help. You know, I remember going to my first doctor's appointment, actually Lena Dunham came with me and because I was too scared to go alone and she had a trans brother and we masked up and went to the doctor and, you know, I was like, well, how do I know if this is right or how much estrogen I should be taking? He was like, you'll just know. He's like, and if, and if it doesn't feel right, you'll know. Wow. And, that's and it's true. Medical, like coming from somebody who. He was really yeah. holistic about it, which yeah, I appreciated. That's and cool. I just, you know, I started taking hormones and taking testosterone blockers and I, I came down to earth. It's like the only way I could describe it. I like for the first time, like felt my feet on the ground and I was like, oh, that's I sl beautiful. Like, slept well. Oh. So weird. That speaks volumes. Sleeping yeah. well speaks volumes to so inner well. peace. Yeah. I was yeah. like, what? I slept, period, through the night? Okay. And then you had the Time Magazine moment that yes. felt like very deliberate and like a reintroduction. Sure. Yeah. I kept having to come out and in meetings and work scenarios, and I kept having to like educate at the time I was with CAA and like I remember coming out to them and they were all super supportive, but I think, you know, I get, and then I was getting set up on these generals and like reintroducing myself to the industry. And I felt like I was doing myself a disservice by not just coming out at a certain point. Cause I, 
it was actually like more traumatic for me to sit in front of white male executives being like, I'm a girl. Because I had done that whole shoot, prepped it all. I said I was doing one interview. That was the only interview I did. That's great. I picked a source that felt reputable. It felt safe because of um, I didn't like bid it out. I called a friend who worked at the magazine and I was like, would you guys have any interest in telling this story? I think I'm ready to tell because he already knew he's like a really close friend. And they were like, yeah, but we're going to do this like with journalistic integrity. And I was like, by all fucking means, please. Yeah. The last thing I want is to like do this with people and then have like the conservatives telling, you know what I mean? I was like, no, I want this to be like a reputable news source, mm -hmm. which is why I'm coming to you. <laughs> Did it feel good? It felt really good. That's it wonderful. Felt so good to rip that Band-Aid off to feel that I had, while I didn't have control over what the article said or what images they chose or anything like that, I had a small amount of autonomy in the process. I chose when I came out. I wasn't outed, even though it felt like I kind of was, or I felt like I was cornered, if right. you will. I'm a trans person who like very much appears trans in public and am publicly known as a trans person because of being a known person we prior to transitioning in publicly. publicly. Yeah. And, and I would say like those photos were some of the first photos where I ever saw myself is what I'm trying to say. And that part of the gift of doing what we do and what I do for a living is that it was the first time I'd done a photo shoot since transitioning. It was the first time I ever had like full femme glam and like my stylist at the time I had been working with for many, many years before came. And it was the first time I had a fitting in like women's clothing. And it was the first time for all of that. And I remember looking at the monitor on the day and being like, that's me. Like it was the first time I felt like I saw myself reflected in my work, mm. even though that wasn't work, but it was. And since then I've been really considerate about the type of like editorials and things that I do um, or campaigns. But when I do stuff like that, it feels really good to see myself for the first time and now see like evolutions of myself. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. You're writing a book, right? And is it a, a rap? Is that not, is that am I not supposed to no, talk about that? No, you okay. can. Yeah, I sold it. I am writing a book of essays. I, I'm supposed to be writing a book of essays. You're like, at after point, I edit this damn movie. Point, and I'm going to write this I, yeah. book of essays. Um, I feel like my publishers are on strike right now. Like, I'm sort of like. <laughs> Fine. So I'm like. Don't. If they're leaving you alone, like, I have two they, friends who are writing, finishing books right now, and they yeah. are stressed. I've, <laughs> I've been left alone. But right. I also was really clear when I sold this book that it would take me a long time. Great. That's beautiful. We love that. I think I Boundaries. sold it, admittedly, <laughs> off on the tails of of coming out publicly and having a lot of momentum in that regard and like totally you I'd already I'd written this book proposal in early 2020 and it was the same proposal I just like I'd taken it out no one bought it I took it out again someone bought it and I was like great it literally did not change a word on the proposal great if you don't <laughs> need to then why would you I'm gonna completely burn it to the ground and I, who knows what I'll end up writing but I told them I was like look I don't it's going to take me a long time to do this. Like, I'm not going to like turn around a draft. I don't necessarily want a ghostwriter right now. I don't want any help. I want to do this on my own. I know that I can. Well, I, you're a writer. You I should, don't write you, prose yeah. that much. So it's definitely a different medium. And so I'm, I'm trying to really like understand my voice in that space. But I grew up, you know, 
reading Augustine Burroughs and David Sedaris. And like, it, I think it falls in a similar category of queer self-exploration with like a sense of humor. Like and, David Sedaris. I mean, yeah. Incredible like, tone. Taking, and, I mean, I love yeah. that tone and mm-hmm. I think I would be so lucky, right? I mean, I'm going to, who knows what it's going to be, but ultimately I'm a tarot fanatic and freak. And the idea came from, I was in Montana and I pulled tarot cards because my namesake was born there and like he died when I was young and I, I just was like I'm connecting with my dead uncle who I'm named after through like tarot <laughs> and uh decided that that would sort of be the format of my book it's like a chapter for each card that I pulled on that day in Montana so we'll see yeah we'll see when I do it <laughs> I mean you have a whole last movie coming out that you're finishing <laughs> editing first we are at the end of our time and I was thinking like is there anything kind of that last note or something that you wanted to say or cover that we didn't talk about? Gosh, I don't, I mean, I think there's no right way to transition. We talked a lot about my experience and I I think it's really important to validate everyone's experience. I think mine was unique in some ways, um, just circumstantially. And I, I get asked a lot about trans stuff or drug stuff there's no there's no right way to get sober there's no right way to transition there's no right way to be famous like there's like and i think uh, i'm sure you feel this way too it's like people come to you for advice and i'm like i can give you my experience and like these are the words that i have because this is what i've lived and done but ultimately you're gonna have your own experience with x y and z right and i I remember talking to directors and being like how do i direct a movie and they'd be like i don't know I fucking, I, I'm I've directed five. I have no idea. Yeah. I'd be like, I use this binder. I do this thing. Talk to, I shadowed people. No one does this, does, mm-hmm. does the same thing in the same way. And perhaps that's like a Saturn return lesson of like not giving a fuck anymore in, in that regard. Um, but ultimately I, I feel the need to preface like, or end on a button of like, I am not an expert on being trans or being sober. This is just like what I do and how I survive this weird fucked up world that we live in. The advice that I always give people is um, what I've found is, you know, you're very impressionable. And if you're in your 20s, especially, obviously, you're kind of trying to figure out like your identity and how to make it. And you, it's good to listen to people and get advice. But I think also, it's incredibly important to trust your instincts and realize that you are the only person who wakes up and goes to sleep in your body and ultimately whatever you do needs to be what makes you happy. Period. So I think that you have definitely come to that, which is really beautiful. Thank you. And you too. Thank you. I feel like, yeah, it's great to, we're not that close, right? But we like share friends and Mm -hmm. circles and find each other in different ways Mm and kind of weird. I feel like I remember when, I don't know if you talk about your divorce at all, but I remember when you were going through that, I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Even though I wasn't as public about I love a divorce my... story. I love a divorce. I'm like, tell it me feels... the divorce. Every I'm like, time what I... did you do with your ring? <laughs> I still have it. But every time I hear um, a divorce story, I'm like, or when I see the news, like my first, I have to remind myself that I have to be like, oh, that's sad. I don't, I literally say to people, good for you. <laughs> oh my God. I think, and I think my ex-husband, who I'm really, really good friends with still would tell you, he's like, this is the best thing that could have happened to us. I don't think divorce is a sad Thing about. I actually think it's a really brave thing yes, if you can make I that decision too. for yourself and get out of a situation I know that a is lot no of longer are serving you. I know happily married for a very long time because they're so afraid of divorce. Mm. And I don't think that's a good way to live. Absolutely not. So, absolutely not. No. Well, cheers to divorce. Cheers to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. That was Tommy Dorfman. I'm very excited to hear everyone's thoughts about what Tommy had to say around gender identity and sobriety and being productive and being an artist. So go to hilo.fm to submit your thoughts and voice notes, and we'll use them for the subscription episode, Talk Back. Thank you for listening. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production produced by Chelsea Jacobson. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.